Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. First, 1937, a grant was given to Harvard University to initiate a study. Over the next four years, 268 sophomores were selected. Among them was a 19-year-old sophomore college student by the name of John F. Kennedy. Those 268 men, a few of them who are still living, were medically examined and psychologically tested and personally interviewed every two years since that study commenced. The files are as thick as unabridged dictionaries, and they are stored in an office behind Fenway Park. It's the holy grail for researchers because it's the longest longitudinal study that has ever been done about human behavior and development. A few years ago, that vault was opened and some of the findings were revealed. I don't know, would you be interested in hearing anything about that? Good, I'm glad. Thank you for talking back. You can talk back to me this morning. I like that. <laughs> Let me just share one example because we don't have all day. But uh, the greatest predictor of happiness in life is warm childhood relationships. That's one of the things that was revealed in this study. And, and in fact, those with warm childhood relationships earn uh, an average of $141,000 more than their counterparts. In fact, uh, let me just cut to the chase. For four decades, there was a guy whose name is George Valiant. And, and George Valiant was the keeper of the grail, so to speak. And, uh, and, and I found one thing interesting. He wrote a book, and, and he reduces this, this 75-year, $200 million study down to a five-word conclusion. And this is his conclusion. His conclusion is this. Happiness is love, full stop. Full stop being period. Happiness is love, full stop. And really, three, year, three words. But here's what he said. Happiness is only the cart. Love is the horse. Now, we started a series nine weeks ago called Long Story Short, and we've gotten all the way through the Old Testament, and now we're beginning in the New Testament, and so if you weren't here for that, I'm so sorry, too bad. No, I'm just kidding. It's not too late. It's not too late. We're actually, we're, 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 we're right in the, in the heart of it here in the New Testament, what everything in the Old Testament was building for, and so I want to encourage you to join us, because we're going to continue this series uh, over the next couple of weeks, and I want to encourage you to continue the story with us, and we've got them online. You can go back and listen if you want, but as we've been through this series, uh, what, we, what we found is, is we begin to see that the Bible is, is not just uh, a compilation. It is a compilation of a lot of different books, but it's not a bunch of different stories. It's actually one story. It's one story. And what Easter, what we're here today, we, we are at the, at the pinnacle of what everything was pointing to in that story. But it's not over because it's pointing to more. That's why we still have some more weeks left. But the Bible's a big book, isn't it? We talked about this. Let's zoom out for a moment. 66 books, 773,692 words. But who's counting, right? Who's counting? I guess I was. 40 human authors that I believe were inspired by God. They were farmers and fishermen, poets and prophets, doctors and tax collectors, kings. They wrote on three different continents and three different languages over the course of 15 centuries. It covers every subject under the sun. There are some, there are some romantic comedies and some tragedies. There's great adventure. There's musicals and there's a ton of documentaries. 
In fact, what I'm getting at is this, that the Bible, whether you believe it's the inspired word of God or not, is really the longest longitudinal study of human nature ever done. And it's not only a study of human nature, but of what is right and what is wrong, and it reveals the character of God, who he is, and who he is not. So let me just summarize and give you my Cliff Notes version. We can, this long story short, Cliff Notes version, and it's this, God is love full stop. All right, that's it. We're done. You can go home. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm going to hold you here a little while longer. We, we could stop right there, but the long story could be very, very short, and that is the fact that God is love. Listen, there are more than 400 names given to God in Scripture. In Scripture, he's called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He's the Creator. He's the Healer. He's the Redeemer, and he is so much more. Let me tell you, there, there are things about God that are really true and that can be true in three words or less. Like, God is love. God is powerful. God is good. God is life. God is light. There's a thousand other descriptors that the Bible has for God and what God is. But the truest thing about God is this, that God is love. God is love. You know, the truth is some of us have a hard time believing that. We have a hard time believing that. We, we have experienced some things in our lives. We've experienced some tragedy. We've experienced some pain. There are some doubts that can creep up. And, and I don't want to quickly push those aside. It's tough to see that God is good. It's tough sometimes to see that God is love. I don't, I don't want to push those things aside. In fact, I want to thank you that you actually came this morning to give me an opportunity, hopefully, to unpack for you this morning the fact that God is love. And I hope that the scriptures will be revealed to you because here's what I found. Not only does God love you, God likes you. God likes you. Some of you don't even like yourself. But I want to tell you, God doesn't just love you. God likes you. In fact, the gospel writer who who wrote the description in three words about God is love. His name was John. He was very close, called John the Beloved. And in John 3.16, in his gospel, he records Jesus as saying this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is more than something you see at a stadium. It's more than something you see when people hold up a sign. It's true. So how do we know? How do you know that what love is? If God is love, how do we know? Well, John tells us in, in, a, in, a, in a writing that he did in 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. See, Jesus demonstrated the love of God when he gave his life on the cross. The crucifixion and the resurrection, you know what they're all about? They're about a God who couldn't give up on us. They're about a God who is willing to go to hell and back again for us. It's about a God who extends his love and his grace and his mercy to the very people who put him on the cross and then declared while he was on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's love. That's love. God is love, full stop. As a backdrop, in this backdrop, we're going to take a look again at this longitudinal study called the Bible and one story on Resurrection Sunday involving two people, two followers of Jesus, and they were struggling. In fact, they had been struggling with what happened all weekend long. Three days after the crucifixion, game over, all hope is lost. Three days, and that's where we pick up the story, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, 
two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. What are they talking about? Let's unpack the setting a moment. See, prior to his arrest, Jesus had traveled up and down a strip of land that was once ruled by David and once ruled by his son Solomon. They were rulers over the kingdom, and the kingdom was a place of prosperity. David had conquered, and, and, and under, under him, the, the kingdom had expanded. He had united the kingdom, the tribes of, uh, of Judah and the tribes of Israel together under one kingdom. And then when he passed away, his son Solomon took over, and there was great peace, and there was great prosperity. But as we've been talking about, in long story short, the wheels came off the bus when those that followed Solomon didn't follow the Lord. They turned to other idols. And as a result of that, they experienced the judgment of God. And they found themselves bound and they found themselves uh, under the oppression of other kingdoms. And so Jesus had been traveling up and down and all of a sudden he was inviting people to become a part of his kingdom. He was promising them abundant life. His followers fully expected that he would become their king and that Israel would rise again and be prosperous and free. Last week, we shared one of the prophecies of Daniel along with the miracles and the teachings and the signs and the wonders brought an expectation that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one who was the covenant king, the covenant that God made with David that a king would always sit on his throne, that Jesus was that promised king. They had been under oppression. They had been under the Romans and before that, the Greeks and before that, the Persians and the Babylonians, they had followed the timeline, they had looked at the prophecies, and now Jesus came as a powerful teacher, one who taught with authority, one in whom nobody could compare. He did miracles and signs and wonders, and he healed, and there were great, there was great anticipation that was happening that he would be the one that would finally bring freedom. He would free them from Rome, and he would set up a kingdom. How do I know this? Because two of his followers, James and John, They had a mom. You know, moms are always looking out for what's good for their kids, right? And they said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can my sons, one of them sit on your right and one of them sit on your left? Why would she say that? Because she was anticipating a kingdom. The people last week, we talked about Palm Sunday. When he entered the triumphal entry and Jesus came in, what did they shout? Hosanna, Hosanna, the king has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were expecting A king. (laughs) But one fateful Friday afternoon, the sun fell on the horizon. And the Son of God hung cold and lifeless on a Roman cross just outside the city walls. And as the sun rose on that Sunday morning, the Passover feast had come to an end. Two of Jesus' followers, disillusioned and resolving to leave their fullest dreams in Jerusalem, left for a small, unknown village called Emmaus. And nobody, nobody even can tell you where Emmaus was. The only details we have is that it was about a seven-mile walk. And so this dejected pair began that seven-mile walk to Emmaus, even as rumors of a resurrection circulated among the ranks of the disciples. See, this is what happens. When we experience disappointment, our expectations are not met, it can lead us on a journey of doubt. You see, the journey to Emmaus is both a literal and spiritual journey. On the one hand, it recounts a story of these two disciples, both literally, who after the crucifixion and and resurrection of the Lord, walked seven miles from Jerusalem to their village in Emmaus. 
But on the other hand, it outlines for us a journey that we all take as we struggle with doubts and disappointments that lead us to oftentimes not recognizing Jesus, nor understanding what the scriptures truly say about him. And it isn't until we really recognize who he is that that leads us to a place where we have a great witness for what we've experienced. I want to talk about that journey this morning. And then it's Easter Sunday. I want to talk about that journey because some of you are somewhere on that journey. You're somewhere on that journey. The first stage of the journey is walking away. You ever felt like you just had to get away? I think that, you know, in that Southwest little commercial, you hear that ding, want to get away? You know, <laughs> there are times in life where we experience pain, where, where our hopes, where our dreams, where what we had anticipated happening doesn't happen, where we have an idea of, of, of where we ought to be or what we ought to do. We dream about it. We plan it. And then we get into it. And when we get there, we find it's not what we thought it was going to be. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I don't know about you, but sometimes we just want to give up. Sometimes we just want to walk away. Sometimes we just want to say, you know what? I'm done with this. I've had enough. I'm getting out of town. And you know what? That's what's happened here. That's what happened. Their world was turned upside down. They wanted to know, where do we go next? What do we do now? Where where are we at? You know, we had anticipated everything. We had a dream, and our dream has been shattered, and now disillusioned and disappointed These followers of Jesus begin to leave Jerusalem on that Easter morning. I mean, who can blame them? That weekend was a weekend of pain. It was a weekend of sorrow. It was a weekend of loss. Jerusalem represented for them at that time a place of death. Unmet expectations and disappointment. It was the place where their dreams and their lives were shattered. Who wouldn't want to get away from that place? Emmaus was a place of escape. And that's what happens when we experience pain, when we experience disappointment. We always, we all, we, we, we at times are tempted to take a way of escape. We're tempted to look for something to escape to, to escape the pain. Now let me go back. I, I opened with that study that was done on, on those 268 uh, sophomores. And I want to go back to that. You see, George Valiant profiles the 268 men in his book, Triumphs of Experience. Triumphs of Experience. And he gives pseudonyms. He doesn't want to give their real names. And uh, so he gives a pseudonyms for a guy by the name of Art Miller. And out of those 268 sophomores that were selected to be a part of this study, all of them continue with this study until they died except one. One won AWOL. In 1968, Art Miller disappeared. He went off the radar. He earned a PhD in Renaissance drama, moved back to Australia, to the outback to be exact. And finally, in 1980, Valiant tracked him down and went to Australia to interview him and catch up on what had happened during that 20 years that he had not checked in. And at first... Art Miller was a mystery to George Valiant. Valiant couldn't figure him out. He, 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 he didn't understand what was going on until one day he was looking into his 600-page file and he found one piece of paper that he had missed before. It was a military record from World War II. And this is 55 years after the fact. On June 13, 1944, a week after D-Day, Art Miller found himself in an Italian hospital and the interviewing doctor recorded the following. Patient saw three or four days of combat. Remembers killing three Germans. The last he remembers is attacking uphill with men falling nearby blasts and then woke up here two days ago. He has no idea what happened in the intervening time. On admission, he was acutely disturbed. 
He kept his fist clenched and he threw himself about calling, shells, bombs, I'm afraid. No one could, no, no contact could be established. He was restless. He was disturbed. Over response to minor stimuli, he would, he would crawl under the covers in a fetal position at the sound of planes. See, that moment changed everything for Art Miller. And it was at that moment when George Valiant was reading this that things began to make sense. He said, you know, I could stand in judgment before without knowing what was going on. I could stand in judgment and I could point to Miller's non-compliant and passive-aggressive behavior. I could note that he had run away. He had run away from family, his country, earned income as low as any other man in the study. And I could point to that and I could judge or... I could take a look, and in 2010, I finally did understand Art Miller's whole life as a creative example of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. It wasn't a diagnosis 70 years ago, but the events of the war had such an impact on Art Miller's life that it caused him to run away. His life was a painful reaction to the trauma that he had experienced. Now, why do I tell you that? So there are some of you that maybe have experienced PTSD. You've experienced an event in your life that has been that dramatic, that it has deeply impacted you in that way. But I would venture to say that all of us have had experiences, painful experiences, difficult experiences, experiences of unmet expectations, things that have defined our lives and things that either do one of two things. They either cause us to move towards seeking Jesus and finding answers in him or to move away. To say God is not good, God is not love, how could he allow these things to happen? If God was good, if God was love, I don't understand it, this doesn't seem like love, and I'm moving away. See, these kind of experiences can bring doubt. These kind of experiences can bring disillusionment. And that's what was going on for, for these disciples. Just like with many of us, when we see the civil wars or we see the genocide or the sex trafficking, we hear about child abuse or bullying, fill in the blank. There is so much brokenness in our world that oftentimes that brokenness, and when we see the lens of that brokenness, we say, how can God be loved? How can any of this be true? How can you say that is true? When we experience pain and troubles or when we have unmet expectations, our life can become a reaction to those things. The brokenness, the hurt, the shame, the anger, the bitterness, the fear, the doubt. And like Art Miller, we can try to heal the hurt in all kinds of different ways. Try to escape somewhere else to try to find something that will fill the gap. Something that will heal the hurt. Something that will solve the problem. Something that will fill the void or erase the pain. We look for ways to escape. And oftentimes that leads us to doubt the goodness of God. Let's look again at these disciples. Because as they're walking and talking about these things, I suspect that uh, they were talking about Jesus' arrest. They were talking about his torture, his crucifixion, his death. How their hope didn't materialize. and Their expectations were unmet. Their investments went unpaid. No return. They're disappointed and they're sad. They had hoped Jesus was the one, but now he's dead. And with his death, there's a part of them that has also been lost, that died with Jesus. Because later, how do I know this? Because later when they hear about it, they're there, and, and they're going to explain, well, you know, we heard that, you know, there were these rumblings that, 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 he, that he is alive, that, that, that he resurrected, or his body wasn't there, but we thought they were idle tales. You know, sometimes there are so many doubts, so many hurts, we don't want to let ourselves believe again. 
We don't want to let ourselves believe again. And there was nothing to keep them in Jerusalem. Their lives had been shattered. Luke describes a conversation, battering ideas back and forth with great emotion in a shared search for answers. In fact, the Greek phrase, homileo suzateo, I think that's how you say that. I don't speak Greek. But talking and discussing, we literally translated conversing and disputing. The disillusioned followers desperately wanted to know why their expectations about the Messiah had come to such a tragic end. But the pain led them to walk away from Jerusalem. But how many are glad that's not the end of the story? That's not the end of the story. You see, stage two is this. Jesus pursues us. Jesus pursues us. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Luke is a very good storyteller. There's some things in the story I absolutely love. Luke is a good storyteller because there's intrigue. Now, you and I, we have, the, we, 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 are, we, have the, we have already seen, we already know, we know the end of the story. It's kind of been ruined for us. You know what I'm talking about? Because we already know. I mean, we've been singing about the resurrection. We already know. They don't know that Jesus is alive. They don't know that. But here he is walking alongside of them. And, and they, don't, they don't recognize him. <laughs> Just dumbfounded by that. But what I want you to understand is this. Jesus pursues us. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus was with them even as their doubts were taking them away from him. Jesus was with them even as their doubts were taking them away from him. The pain, the grief, the disappointment, the unmet expectations, the doubt were moving them away from Jesus. But Jesus wasn't moving away from them. When you doubt, Jesus isn't moving away from you. You might not recognize it, but he is pursuing you and he is right there with you. He is with you. Remember what we said earlier. God is love, full stop. God doesn't love us based on who we are. He loves us based on who he is. It's not based on who we are. It's not based on on what we do. It's not based on how good we can be. It's based on who he is. Jesus was with them, even in the midst of their doubts and disillusionments, even as those were keeping them from recognizing him. You might be walking away from Jesus, just like these two disciples. You might be wrestling with pain and disappointment and doubt. You might be struggling with God's plan and wrestling with his plan, and you can't recognize or see Jesus in your pain or in what's going on in your situation. Your situation might seem like the cross where all your dreams and all your hopes have died on the cross, but I'm I'm going to tell you something. You may not recognize it, but Jesus is walking with you. Jesus is with you. David said this. I love it. The psalmist. I'm going to read just a couple of verses, 7 and 8, 11 and 12 from Psalm 139. Probably one of my favorite psalms. But David, David came to this conclusion. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Verse 11, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. There are some of you, you think there is no way God can be with you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your doubt. But what the psalmist is telling us is there is no place you cannot go. There is no far. You can't run so far that God's presence isn't there to pursue you. Life is not so dark that God can't reach down into the deepest darkness of your life and resurrect and pull you out. 
We struggle through pain and disappointment. We struggle with brokenness and broken dreams. And it causes us to move away from the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus shows us that even as we move away from him, he is right there with us, even if we don't recognize him. Joshua Bell is one of the best violinists to ever play in the world. The New York Times said this about Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell stands in no one's shadow when it comes to playing the violin. And I share this because in 2007, there was an experiment that was done. It was the idea of the Washington Post. They approached Joshua Bell and, and uh, they decided, hey, why don't we set you up in, in a D.C. metro station at around 7.45 a.m. It's the time, the high time. We're going to pick the metro station where, where there are federal workers that are coming, going, coming in and out. We're going to position you there and we want you to play. So Joshua Bell, this, this violinist that stands above, that people pay thousands of dollars uh, to, to see and to hear, he sets up in a baseball cap, long sleeve t-shirt, blue jeans, opens up his case, he throws a few dollars in there just for good measure. And then he pulls out his Gibson EX Huberman, which is a handcrafted 1713 uh, violin by Antonio Stradivari worth $3.5 million in a DC metro station. And he played six classical pieces for 43 minutes. And you can watch this on YouTube. You know what's fascinating? I watched it on YouTube. What's fascinating is no one paid any attention to him. Here, here is this guy who people pay like, I mean, buku bucks to go see that they can't get in. And he's in a DC metro station for 43 minutes playing. And people, and you can see it in the video, people are walking on by. There's a few people that drop a little bit of change in there, you know, kind of feel bad for the guy and kind of draw. You know what's even more astounding to me? The, the back and forth. I get it. It's busy and all that. But, but here he is. I mean, it's beautiful. Playing this beautiful music he, on this beautiful violin. And here he is. People don't recognize. And across the way, you can see one of those, one of those lottery station things where you can, you know, buy the tickets and stuff. And there's a line. And there's some people that have waited 20, 30, 40 minutes in line almost the entire time he's playing. And they don't even turn around to look or listen. Similarly, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has risen from the dead. And these followers don't recognize him. Jesus Christ has risen today, and many do not recognize him. Why is that? Well, thirdly, in the stage of the journey is because we're probably wrestling with faulty expectations. Faulty perspectives, excuse me, faulty perspectives. What am I... What am I talking about? Well, let's take a look. Let's continue the story in verse 17. He, meaning Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Right? Breaking news, right? This has been the news all, all, all weekend long. This has been, and everybody is talking about this. I mean, if they, had, if they had the kind of technology that we had today, there would be breaking news notifications that would be on everybody's phone. It would be the breaking news of everything. Did you see what happened? Did you hear? And here is Jesus, and I love it because Jesus just plays with people. <laughs> If you didn't think Jesus had a sense of humor, then you got to read this again. Because here he is, he comes up to them, and like, what are you discussing? Like, he doesn't know. What are you discussing? And then, then here's what he says. You know, they said, are you the only one that doesn't know? And he says, what things? What things? You know? 
Tell me, I, I want to hear from you. What things? Why? Because he wants to reveal their faulty perspectives. He, he's revealing the faultiness in their thinking, and he's going to let them unearth that. He's going to let them come clean with that. And they said this about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The, the, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There it is, the expectation. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels and they said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And my question is, why didn't you, why did you leave? Why didn't you stay? If this is, if this is the testimony, if this is what has been happening, why didn't you stay? Because the pain was too great. The disappointment, they didn't want to be disappointed again. Ah, idle tales. I'm not going that down that road again. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not getting caught in that again. Right? Doubts. Disappointments. Why? Because there's faulty thinking. Three faulty perspectives that I see here. First, their viewpoint lacked a spiritual dimension, leaving them with just a human understanding of the events. It lacked a spiritual component to it. It was just in human understanding. If you take a look at their description, here's what they're saying. Jesus, he was a powerful prophet. He was powerful in word and deed. That's our understanding of who he was. We couldn't really understand or see what the scripture said about him being the Messiah, the Son of God. What they said would happen to the Messiah, the Son of God. We had our understanding of who he should be. Beyond that, we didn't have any component as to what could possibly be about God's plan. All we can see is the plan of, of the religious leaders, the chief priests and our rulers. They're the ones that did it. They handed him over. Let me tell you something. Nobody handed Jesus over. Jesus willingly gave his life. This was faulty. This entire perspective was faulty because it was done primarily on their own human understanding. And let me tell you something. When you look at Jesus simply from a human understanding, you will miss out on who he really is. When you look at him just from your own understanding, they were disillusioned and, and, and struggled with faith because they were looking at their circumstances and what had happened, not as the plan of God, but as, as uh, through the lens of their own plans and how their own plans had failed. Their own reason left, them, left God out of the equation. They couldn't even consider that God had a bigger plan. Second perspective that is faulty, their own agenda determined their expectations. See, many, many of the disciples mistake the thinking that the Messiah would really just recapture the glory days of King David. They had hoped that he would bring Israel the same power and the same prosperity that they had enjoyed. Their, their expectations were, were, were multiplied and magnified by the signs and the wonders. And Jesus was the one until he wasn't in their mind. Compared to the reality that lay before him, a Roman oppression, a dead Messiah, their hope of glory seemed to have been utterly destroyed. Sometimes we struggle because we have an agenda for God. We have an agenda for God. God 
If I serve you, you're going to do this, 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 this in my life. You're going to do this in my family. You're going to do this in my job. This ought to work out like this. This ought to go like this. If I serve you, this is the way it ought to go. If I give my life to you, this is the way it ought to go. And there are some faulty preachers that preach that stuff. They tell you, give your life to Jesus. Everything's going to be roses. Everything's going to be blessed. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. Jesus is my vending machine. Jesus is my Santa Claus. Jesus is my Easter bunny. You know, Jesus is like my idol. I rub his little head and I get whatever I want. That's sometimes how we pray. Look at your prayer life. When was the last time it was anything except what you wanted? Or what you weren't getting out of life? I'm sorry, does that step on your toes? You have an agenda. It's not about what God's will is for your life. It's about what, he, what, you, what you want him to do. It's not about, God, what is your will for my life? It's, God, I have a will for you in my life. And then when that doesn't work out, we get all mad at God. We shake our fist. You can't be loved because you didn't do it my way. You can't be loved because you didn't do that. You can't be loved because this didn't work out. I'm not going to church. Bunch of hypocrites there. But you go to the gym. I go to the gym. Look at this gut. I'm telling you, you know. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. I go to the gym because I'm not healthy. Yeah, all kinds of expectations. Expectations for people in church. All they judge me. I ain't judge you. You're experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God loves you. And he doesn't care about your agenda for him. He cares about his agenda for you. That's what he died for. That's what he resurrected for. But the problem is, is we are left. We we are left and we're going, oh, oh. And we journey away from Jesus and we doubt because of our own agenda. Rather than submitting to his agenda. They failed to acknowledge the resurrection. That was the third faulty perspective. They failed to acknowledge the resurrection. They, they didn't believe he had resurrected from the dead. How do I know them? Because if they, if they had believed he had resurrected from the dead, two things. One, they wouldn't have left Jerusalem when they started hearing about an empty tomb and, and a body that was not there and those reports of an angel visiting and saying he's alive. They wouldn't have left Jerusalem. And secondly, they would have seen the trials, the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus as the promise Not the end of their hopes. But they didn't understand the bigger story. They didn't understand what the Old Testament was pointing to. They lacked understanding of God's word to help them see what he is doing. And all of this, Jesus begins to unpack for them the long story short. The best long story short ever told. And that leads us to number four in the journey. Jesus brings revelation. Jesus brings revelation. Jesus begins to open up their heart by unpacking the scriptures that point to himself. He begins to bring revelation through the Old Testament scriptures that connects them to the present events. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then enter his glory, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning themselves. I don't know about you, but this is the point I would have loved to join them on the journey. 
I would have loved to hear how Jesus began to unpack the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament prophecies that revealed about him and the steps that he took in order to make it clear to him. I would have loved to know what he said. You know, we don't know. But perhaps he began, it says with Moses, you know, Moses wrote, people believe Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Genesis 3.15. Perhaps he, he started there where, where, again, Adam and Eve had sinned and they were receiving the consequences for their sin. But there was a promise in there. And maybe he started with the promise of Gen- Genesis 3.15. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Maybe he pointed to Deuteronomy 8.15 next, which says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Maybe he pointed out Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son, give a son and, his name, and name him Emmanuel. And we know meeting God with us. From there, maybe Jesus took him to Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away. He was despised and we did not value him. Maybe he skipped ahead to Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before his shears. He did not open his mouth. Maybe he then went to Zechariah chapter 12, 10. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And they will look on me whom they pierce. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one who weeps for a firstborn. Perhaps Jesus reminded them of his own words. Didn't, didn't he say the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men? They'll kill him and after three days he will rise? <laughs> You know, we don't know what verses. We, we don't know what verses it was that, that opened up their eyes to see Jesus. But one thing we do know, their eyes were open through the scriptures. That's how their eyes became open. Their eyes became open as they began to look through the lens of scripture. Not the lens of their own agenda. Not the lens through any of their faulty perspectives. But as they began to look through the lens of scripture, their eyes became open. And their heart, their spiritual heart became open to the resurrected Jesus. You see, Scripture gives testimony to who Jesus is. Many people will try to tell you who Jesus is. They'll tell you there are many ways to get to heaven. They'll tell you he was a good man. He was a, he was a great prophet. He was a good teacher. Maybe they'll tell you, you know what? He defied the Roman authorities, and that's why he was crucified. But let me tell you something. Outside of the knowledge of Scripture, you will never have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. When they were blinded by grief... When they were blinded by doubts, it was the truth of Scripture about Jesus that opened up their eyes. If you're wrestling with doubts, if you're wrestling with discouragement, if you, if you are wrestling in any way, I want to encourage you that the only way you're going to truly find an answer to your wrestling, to your doubts, to your discouragement, to your disillusionment, you're not going to find it in any other self-help book. You're not going to find it in anybody else's advice. Oprah don't have the word for you, okay? Dr. Phil don't have the advice for you. The way you're only going to interpret what is going on in your life is when you begin to look through the lens of Scripture and you allow Jesus Christ to open up and reveal His love and His plan for you. That's what we need to see. It's Scripture. It's the Word of God that reveals the love of Christ demonstrated for us. Luke concludes this story with a bit of irony. The disciples have been staring into the face of the risen Savior Jesus 
prevented from seeing him until they buried their false, faulty expectations. And a careful review of the scripture gave them a divine perspective on what they once saw as dismal circumstances. Once their eyes were open to the reality and the implications of the resurrection, Jesus then became visible to their physical eyes. It was the spiritual eyes and then the physical eyes. Why? Why is that? Because we walk by faith, not by sight. It isn't until you decide to put your faith that your sight will be revealed. It begins with faith. Verse 30, he was at the table with them. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were open. They recognized him, and then he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Here they are near Eastern hospitality. They're planning on going, and they say, we're going to stop. Won't you come? Won't you sit for a meal? And Jesus acts like he's still going on. That's just Jesus. You know, I'm, no, I'm going to keep on moving on. They're like, no, no, no. Our hearts are burning. We want to hear more. Come on, stay. And there it is. There it is. And he, he takes bread, and what's he do? He breaks it, and their eyes are open during that meal, just like that meal on that Thursday evening, that Passover meal. There it is, Jesus, the bread of life, breaking bread, and the physical eyes became open. Open as they put their, their faith spiritually in him. As he opened up the scriptures and their spiritual eyes opened, their physical eyes opened, and they were able to see him. Were not our hearts burning within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? See, on the journey, you need to understand this. Jesus has not left you. He longs to open your eyes and reveal himself through his word. The disciples, what do they do at that point? The Bible says they don't stay where they camped out. They immediately head back to Jerusalem and they are telling everybody else, we have seen him. He has risen. We have experienced the risen Savior. See, God is love, full stop. I want to close with one final illustration. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as I close. Dorothy Sayers was a, a British writer. Many of you may know who she was, a British writer. She wrote during the time of C.S. Lewis. She was born in the late 1800s. She died in the late 1950s, and she wrote a lot. What she was really known for was detective fiction. She was one of the first women to receive an awarded degree from Oxford University. And in her fiction, uh, she had a, a main detective, a main character detective by the name of Lord Peter Whimsey. And what's interesting is about this is most scholars have studied her writings and, and, and they studied how she wrote about Lord Peter Wimsey and what they found is, is that she fell in love with this character that she had created, Lord Peter Wimsey. And how do they know that? Because later what we find is in her stories, a new character emerges, a character by the name of Harriet Vane. And what's interesting is this character, Harriet Vane, receives a degree from the famed Oxford University and writes detective fiction. They believed that Harriet Vane was a representation of her, that she had fallen in love with Lord Peter Whimsey, and she had so fallen in love with him, this character that she had created, that she wrote herself into the story. And as she wrote herself into the story, they end up getting married. See, in a writer's way, here's what she did. She created someone. She loved him so much that she wrote himself into the story. Friends, that's what God did for us. He is the author of life. 
He is the creator and he created us. And even, even when we sinned against him, even when it seemed as if we would be unlovable, that we had sinned against God and, and, and all of a sudden the, the whole story was broken. God said, no, 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 no. I love them too much. And he wrote himself into the story. He wrote himself into the story and he came and he, he came and he, and he, he was willing to, to show his love by dying on a cross and raising again so that he can reconcile us to himself and that we can become his bride. And one day when that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise and we will enjoy a marriage supper of the lamb because Jesus Christ wrote himself into the story. He loved us so much that he wrote himself into the story. Friends, I'm going to tell you, God is love, full stop. And there are some of you, I don't know where you're at on this journey. Perhaps you've experienced pain, disheartenment, disillusionment, expectations you had haven't been met. And you are journeying away from Jesus. I want to encourage you. You might be walking away from Jesus and you might not see him in your circumstances or in your life. But I'm telling you, he is pursuing you. And he is with you whether you realize it or not. And he longs to open up your understanding. He longs to make sense of your situation. He longs to help unpack. And he will do that as you allow him to. He will do that as you begin to let him open up the scriptures and open up his word as we've done today to see that God is love full stop. God loves you and he has written himself into the story of your life to redeem you, to save you, to forgive you, to heal you, to deliver you, to set you free, to make you his child and to give you eternal life so here's my question here's my question where are you at are you wrestling today with doubts and unmet expectations are you struggling through the pain I want to encourage you Jesus is closer than you think and he longs to reveal himself to you I want to invite you today to begin a journey with Jesus. I want to invite you today to invite the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, into your life. I want to invite you today to lay on Him your sin, to confess your sin, and to allow Him to bring forgiveness and healing and peace, to surrender your life and let Him come in today. I want to invite you today to let Him reveal His love for you today. Will you let him reveal to you more and more about the love that he has? Let's bow our heads this morning. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what? <laughs> I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> he wrote himself into my story. I, I, I've been struggling. I've been walking away. But I, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to invite Jesus into my heart Today, I want to receive his forgiveness and grace. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? Maybe you need to rededicate. Maybe you've walked away and you need to come back this Easter and you say, you know what? Today, I'm coming back. Today, I'm coming back. Yeah, I'm coming back. Come on. Come on. I'm coming back today. I'm coming, Jesus. I want you in my life. I give my life to you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's pray together. If you raise your hand, maybe you didn't, but you want to pray this prayer. Will you just receive Christ today? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you rose again for me. I ask you to forgive me today.
of all of my sin, that you would cleanse me, come into my life, and make me new. I want to walk with you. I want to receive your love. Thank you today for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.